Right, the passage this morning is uh, Luke 19, and we're reading from verse 28 to verse 44, if anyone wants to follow that in their Bibles. And after saying these things, Jesus went on ahead of them, going up to Jerusalem. When he came near Bethage and, and Beth, Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the village yonder there. As you go in, you will find a donkey's colt, tied, on which no man has ever yet sat. Loose it and bring it here. If anybody asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were loosening the colt, it, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. Then they threw their garments over the colt and set Jesus upon it. And as he rode along, the people kept spreading their garments on the road. As he was approaching the city at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God, extolling him exultantly and loudly for all the mighty miracles and works of power that they had witnessed, crying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, freedom there from all the distresses that are experienced as a result of sin, and glory, majesty, and splendor in the highest heaven. And some of the Pharisees from the throng said to Jesus, Teacher, reprove your disciples. He replied, I tell you, if these keep quiet, the very stones will cry out. And as he approached, he saw the city, and he wept over it, exclaiming, Would that you had known personally, even at least in this your day, the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For a time is coming upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank with pointed stakes about you and surround you and shut you in on every side. And they will dash you down to the ground, you, Jerusalem, and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Because you did not come progressively to recognize and know and understand the time of your visitation. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's fair to say that as a nation we do pomp and ceremony in a really great way. And I think over the past few years, uh, having had uh, royal weddings and royal funerals, it's been fascinating to observe all the different elements. And uh, while I realize it's probably politically, not everybody's on the same page with this, some people probably are questioning the uh, finances that were involved in it. One thing is for sure, leaving politics aside, the choreography and everything that visually uh, was uh, prepared is pretty stunning. 
Well, one of the interesting things that I found, uh, as somebody who is not absolutely 100% totally accustomed to uh, what everything means, is having a commentary. Um, and very often it was uh, really fascinating being able to listen to historians uh, and people that were specialized in being able to explain to people like me, who wasn't very familiar with what everything means and what everything symbolizes, the meaning behind some of the rigmarole that you had going on. And I found that really fascinating and, 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 and very interesting. And this morning we're going to look at a different type of ceremony, and it certainly looks very different, in which Jesus, after um, ministering in all the towns and villages uh, 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 around Jerusalem, now he's approaching his final journey to accomplish his mission. Jesus was born in order to die and rise again. It didn't come as a surprise to him. This was part of the journey and the trajectory that was prepared for him. And now he's coming to the last lap. He's coming to the place where he's entering Jerusalem and he's about to spend the last week before he's crucified. And then as we shall celebrate next Sunday, he's risen from the dead. And just like we, well, I was watching and trying to learn about the meaning of certain things, I want to ask us a question as we look and, and try to get into the picture of what Carrie just read to us. What is it that we find about Jesus? What is it that what was happening there tells us about him? Who was he? And what was he about? And if we look carefully in whatever is happening here, we can glean some really interesting things. And just a couple that I want to, to, to leave with us this morning because I think they're very significant. It's very surprising, I guess, if, if you look at this. After Jesus had said this, Luke writes, Jesus went ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at a hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead and as you enter it, you'll find a colt or a donkey tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who went were sent ahead. They went and found it just as Jesus had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owner asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put it on him. And as he went along, people spread their coats, cloaks uh, uh, on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they have seen. The thing that strikes you right from the very beginning, if you're looking at the ceremony, and if there would have been a, a commentator, a theological or a political commentator, they would have said, this is not what we expected to happen. And the thing that strikes you is Jesus' meekness, Jesus' humility. People in those times would have been used to have a parade. And the normal parades that everybody didn't watch on TV because they didn't have one, 
But I'm sure there would have been story that would have been told from those who probably had a chance to go to Rome, the place where the greatest parades in the world were happening. And when people were coming back, they used to tell everybody of all the soldiers they were coming back. They were riding white horses, white stallions that were looking absolutely magnificent. And all the armory, all the different colors, all the synchronized, in sync movement was there. With probably Caesar himself looking absolutely, incredibly dashing. So if anybody was commentating on this, they would have said, well, this is a surprise. Everybody would have heard about Jesus. He was somebody who was creating waves. If Jesus would have lived in our day, he would have been a social media personality, not because of his own making, but because other people were talking about him. Everybody was talking about Jesus. There there was this man who came out of Nazareth, out of nowhere, and suddenly he turned the world upside down. He was performing miracles. He was preaching with authority. He was healing the sick and casting out demons. And people were saying, who is this man? Where did he come from? And as he's coming into Jerusalem at the feast of the Passover, you would have expected that there was a big swell of people beginning to follow him and say, this is the Messiah, the long-expected Savior of the people of Israel. And you would have expected that that ceremony of Jesus coming into Jerusalem would have looked differently than it actually did. And Jesus comes riding on a donkey. The visuals just don't fit. Something isn't quite right. Somebody of his popularity and influence that had already happened, surely if he comes to be the Messiah, he should look more powerful, more impressive. And yet he does this deliberately. It's interesting, isn't it? I don't know how many of you are planning your own birthday parties. (laughs) Probably not many. But Jesus has actually planned all this. He was very intentional about it. He told the disciples, go and find in that place this donkey and bring it over. And just in case, I mean, he was that prepared. He planned it that well that actually he anticipated the potential questions which was very normal, really, that the owners would have asked, what on, what on earth are you doing with this? this? This is our donkey. This was a valuable treasure. You know, it wasn't just uh, like somebody coming after your 25-year-old beat-up Ford Fiesta. This was somebody who was coming after your Beamer. What are you doing? And they have the answer because Jesus has prepared them. Jesus intentionally wanted to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. It was not a mistake. It was not an oversight. Because he wanted to communicate what he communicated all along, right from his very birth, in a manger in Bethlehem, without any royal presence, without the kind of expectation and surroundings and honor that God himself, born as a man, should have deserved. He purposefully came to say, I am coming in humility. That's our God.
That's our king. He comes riding on a donkey. And you might say, well, okay, the donkey and a stallion, slightly different visuals. You can really tell that there's a difference between the power of Caesar riding on a white stallion with all the armies behind him and Jesus riding on a donkey that people put their cloaks on, a borrowed donkey at that, with only some of his supporters throwing up some clothes in the way and shouting Hosanna to the son of David. This was all to communicate that Jesus came as a humble king. It was all part of the plan. And what I like about Jesus is that actually he cares more about fulfilling a prophecy from the prophet Zechariah, Zechariah 9.9, than image. It could have been very easy to say to the Father and to the Holy Spirit, can we just (laughs) edit this? Don't particularly fancy coming in and riding on a donkey. This is the moment I'm coming into Jerusalem. Does it have to be like that? But Jesus cared more about fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament and proving to the people that this was God's plan all along. He cared more about fulfilling that than he cared about image. And this is the prophecy that Zechariah brings. He says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This was all preplanned. And he's communicating the same powerful message. We are not like the Romans. We are not like the Jewish royalty. Yes, I am the king. But I'm a different kind of king, a king who comes in humility and shows himself to continue, born in humility, living in a normal family, suffering with a pinnacle being the cross of that life lived in humility. All throughout, when you think of the disciples that Jesus was meeting with, everything has that label on it, humility. It is never about power as those around him would have seen it. Paul captures this very beautifully in Philippians 2, 5 to 7. And he's talking about Jesus uh, in what is known as a beautiful doxology. And he says this, Jesus Christ, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. That's who this king is. He is a humble king. And both his birth and his death communicate that, and everything in between paints the same consistent picture of a God who is meek, of a God who is humble. And then the mood changes, and again, this, this whole entrance of Jesus in Jerusalem is filled with a sense of surprise. If Jesus would have done this now, everybody would have written about it, everybody would have talked about it, and the one word probably they would have used is surprise. Surprise. 
It's not as we thought would happen. It didn't happen as we expected it. And you find out that after all the people were praising Jesus, all the people were encouraging him as he's coming and proclaiming Hosanna to the son of David, the mood changes drastically. It says that some of the Pharisees in, uh, in the crowd, verse 39, said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And then as he approached Jerusalem, and here is where this mood change that is so surprising, so unexpected. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it and said, If you even had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and they will encircle you and hem you in on every side and they will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone upon one another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming or God's visitation to you. Wow. This is surprising. I mean, this is party time. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem in his own way. People are rejoicing. They're excited. They cry out. They shout. They put their clothes before him. It feels like it's an exciting time. You would imagine that Jesus would be beaming with a big smile. I mean... Everybody who doesn't know what's supposed to be following would have said there's a crescendo of excitement with Jesus coming. What's going to be happening next? The observers probably would have said, well, this, this guy's coming in into Jerusalem. Watch out. Something's going on. There are these people with him, and he's unlike anybody else. He's not coming like an insurrectionist. He doesn't bring weapons and an army with him. Yet there seems to be something about him that is magnetic. And people are watching. This is exciting. The disciples probably rubbed their hands in their ignorance thinking, we've cracked it. If we had success in ministry before, this is it. This is the big day. This is big time. We're coming into Jerusalem and people are into Jesus. And this is looking good for us. We're going to be starting some great work here. And then you find Jesus looking at Jerusalem, weeping. Talk about surprises. Again, I, I, would, I would have loved to see live coverage from Sky and BBC 24. How they would comment this. What's going on? But this is exciting. This is supposed to be the coronation. And yet you find Jesus weeping. Why? Because once again, it shows us who he is. It shows us that this king is a king who's passionate about mission. He cries because he looks at Jerusalem. And he could see both what is happening in the present and also what is happening in the future. Jesus has this amazing ability that what to human beings, popularity and success tends to go to their head. He's untouched by it. 
There's another beautiful incident described in Mark chapter 1, where there's a whole day of ministry culminating with a night of ministry, right into the night, right into the early morning, where Jesus is healing the sick, and he's casting out demons. And then Mark says in verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus went to a lonely place to pray. And as he went to pray, and again, it's, it's the same consistency. It's not what we expect. It's surprising. The disciples come looking for Jesus, and they do what we would expect them to do, saying, Jesus, things are great at the moment. We, people queued up at the door till late in the night. There have been so many people that have been healed and delivered and helped. And they're going to bring their other friends. So we're going to start a church here. And within weeks and months, this is going to be a mega church. This is going to be exciting. Because you're popular and people are queuing up to see you. What does Jesus say to them? Let's pack up our bags. This is my version. (laughs) Let's pack up our bags and we just go to the next villages because they need to hear the good news too. It's the same thing. It's the heart of Jesus for those who don't know him yet. It's the heart of the king for mission. That's why he weeps. He weeps because he can see with his mind's eye. And again, I would just love to sort of have a cinematic vision of this where Jesus possibly with the eyes of God within him, he, he probably closed his eyes or opened his eyes and he saw Jerusalem and he saw people and he saw individuals and he saw into their hearts and he saw the hardness of their hearts and the rejection that he would receive. And then with his ability as, as being God and being able to see into the future, he could see that in 70 AD, the, the, the Romans would come and they would surround and ultimately destroy Jerusalem and put them through the sword and, 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 and leave it in a heap of ruins. The destruction, both now and into the future, broke his heart and he wept. This is our king. We tend to weep for all sorts of reasons. And sometimes we weep because we feel weak. We feel be- weep because we feel overwhelmed. We weep because we are lonely. We weep because it hurts. And a lot of the times the weeping is for us. Jesus doesn't weep for himself. Jesus doesn't get overwhelmed with what's ahead. But he weeps for others. He weeps for those who don't know him yet both present and future. And his tears betray his heart. Through those tears, he can see what he cares about, what's important to him. And there's that window into Jesus' mission, into Jesus' mindset, into everything that he cared for. And right now, while everybody's rejoicing, right now, while everybody doesn't really get what's going on, and they don't see the big plan that, that he knows about and he sees ahead. Everybody is in a different mode. They're in rejoicing mode. This is exciting. This is great. Jesus is entering Jerusalem. And then you have Jesus seeing the reality of those who are and will reject him.
and he's heartbroken for that missed opportunity. It's that picture into what this king is all about. This is Jesus. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus himself said, For even the Son of Man, that's himself, that's a self-description, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That was his purpose. That was his agenda. That was his passion. If you want to know the real Jesus, that is him. And on Palm Sunday, he is revealed that he's coming into Jerusalem. And you have these two surprising pictures, probably unexpected pictures. One of his incredible meekness and the other one of his great heart for mission and for seeing other people come to him. What does that say to us? I think it's probably fair to say that very often the church on on Palm Sunday uses this opportunity to celebrate who this king is. And we can celebrate both his incredible humility, that he is no like, not like the other kings. He is like no one else. He is so beautifully different that he is somebody who is filled with humility. We can celebrate that this, this king was passionate to see me and you, each one of us, come to know him. And like that song said, he did everything. And in the eyes of some, it looked reckless. You know, why would you go and get your body mangled on a cross and beaten up? For who? For people like me and you? Does it make sense? Does it make sense to me? Seems reckless. And yet he did everything that he could possibly do. Jumped over every fence. Chased after every lost one. Because this king cares for mission. And cares for people to come to know him. And we're celebrating that this morning. We should be celebrating that. As we look at Jesus, we should say, Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy because you are so different. You're a humble king. Thank you. Jesus, you are a king who has such a passion for people to come and meet you that you would step away from nothing and pay whatever cost in order for those to come to know you. So it's a chance of celebration as we are on Palm Sunday as we look at King Jesus coming into Jerusalem. But probably it is also important to replicate that. There's something of the nature of the king as the kingdom of God comes to indwell us. When we become Christians, the, the, the nature of Christ comes into us. Christ comes to dwell in us by his spirit. And something of the nature of the kingdom of God begins to be shaped within us. When you're asking the question, where is the kingdom of God? The response is, it's in here, within me and you, within us. It's not like there's a street, you know, in Carford or Bolton Sands or Morecambe or Kendall where you say the kingdom of God is on Broad Street. No, the kingdom of God is within those who call themselves the sons and daughters of the king. So therefore there should be a sense in which we're replicating what the nature of the king is. Humility. That's what Paul was saying before 
he gave the description of Jesus' humility. He said, let this attitude be in you as well. Talking about humility. Let this attitude be within you. And if my king is humble, how can I be proud? I am not displaying the nature of the kingdom of God and the traits of my king. If I am his ambassador, I have to bring across who he is. And humility should be a key characteristic of those who follow Jesus. And I think it's particularly a challenging issue in the world in which we live in for us as Christ followers. Because I think our humility, or rather lack of it, has been exposed in probably the last few years. We're called to be humble. And one of the war hallmarks of humility is being able to say sorry. I've got quite a few friends who absolutely vocally and definitely would say to me, and I appreciate their honesty, I don't ever say sorry. I am not a weak person. I don't want to give the other person an advantage. I just don't say sorry. I think we need to be marked as God's people with an attitude where we are ready in genuineness. I was talking to somebody yesterday and they, they reminded me how we can be taking a shortcut when it comes to say sorry. I'm sorry that you feel like that. You know. Just heartfelt sorries, humble sorries, honest sorries, quick sorries. Hallmark of humility. The other one is serving, serving people. And, and, and serving without needing accolades and thank yous. One of the greatest tests to find out whether we're humble or not is to serve and receive nothing back and see how we feel about that. I tend to think that if I feel something negative, it probably tells a lot about my quantity of humility in that. The king, our king, the king of my heart, is a humble king. May the Holy Spirit grow that fruit of humility. This is not a DIY, <laughs> let me try, try harder. This is a spirit of God, intimacy with Jesus, growing, growing, growing that humility within us. So that we are people who say sorry, we are people who serve, and don't get upset if we don't get recognized and seen, and have the attitude where actually less and less this life is not about us. And that's why I think, and, and some of you are thinking, oh, please, not that again, Christy. That's why I think that consumerism and the church is so toxic, and it destroys the very, the very essence of the work of the Spirit of God in the heart of a follower of Jesus. Because it's so anti-kingdom of God. It's so anti-everything that Jesus did. Jesus' call for all of us is to lay down our lives for one another. Consider one another better. If you look 
and do a study on the uh, one another's. It will give you an idea of what it should really look like to live the anti-consumer Christian lifestyle. And Jesus is inviting us to that life of humility. And also when it comes to replicating, it's that call to mission. Again, I cannot call myself the servant of the king, the follower of the king, and not share his heart. Our prayer should be that the closer we get to Jesus, the more we feel deep down the passion for those who don't know him yet. Again, you're probably tired of hearing this. And you're saying, oh, not that again. Missional, living missionally. But the truth is, I really believe there's a deep secret in that. The secret of growing in intimacy with Jesus will result in a very natural missional output. And if there is no missional output, I question our proximity to Jesus. The most amazing missional people that I've ever met are people who are deeply, deeply in love with Jesus. They are not extroverts. They are not courageous. They are not people who have got it. They are not people who have got um, been the bonnet about mission. No, they are people who love Jesus so deeply. And they're so close to his heart. They hear that heartbeat for the lost and cannot but simply become captured by this missional vision and by this compassion that Jesus has. And that's why I want us to be missional. Because the two are so much linked with each other. That's the heart of the king. It's a good time on Palm Sunday as we see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem to pray for ourselves and to simply say, Jesus, just gives us your eyes that we would see the world we live in, that we would see the people that you've placed in our lives, whether it's colleagues, neighbors, friends, family, and see what you see. And be honest about what we see. And then to pray that you would so pour out your compassion within us that we would never cease to pray that they would find you. And pray that you would pour out your wisdom and courage that we would be able to share and show what you're like so they can discover you. That's what it means to replicate Jesus' passion for mission and being available to him because that's what his kingdom is about. So I think this morning is a wonderful invitation as we look at Jesus to say, wow, Jesus will love you. King of my heart, I love you. I love your meekness. I love your passion for mission. Jesus, make me like you. Help me. As you fill my life to live in such a way that actually my life is marked with humility. And my life is marked with an incredible passion to see those who don't know you yet come to know you. Amen. Allow me to pray for us as we still our hearts as the band are coming back to lead us in a response in worship.
Jesus, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you transport us back in time to see that image, that picture of yourself riding in a humble way into Jerusalem. Imprint that staggering, surprising picture into our minds so we would understand that we are not about fitting the right image and looking powerful, but it's about being humble like you are. Holy Spirit, teach us individually what that means in our own lives. One thing is for sure, we all have a battle with pride, but it looks different for all of us. And we're all aware of it. I pray for an outpouring of power that would bring about that fruit of humility. Just as the trees are beginning to blossom and fruit will follow, will you, will you bring that fruitfulness of humility within us as a community that we would be known as Jesus' people with a humility like His? And Holy Spirit, as we with our mind's eye, see Jesus in a different mode, in a different mood. While he should be rejoicing, he just weeps. Helps us to be captured by that vision of the lostness of those around us. That it would affect us deeply, emotionally, visibly, right to the very core of our being so that sharing the good news with them wouldn't be a program or a thing that comes from the front from the pastors, but it would be that draw of our hearts towards your heart and your heart driving this compassion and courage and clarity in letting others know just how good you are. Help us to make much of you the king of our hearts.